Elioff sent a message this week. I want to just give you just a quick um, message from him. Uh, I want you to hear a little bit of how this whole thing's impacting his family. All men and women at the age of 18 enter the Israeli army, and uh, they uh, are given a unit. And uh, Eliab told me in the first message that his unit's not been called up. It really has been dispersed through other units. Eliab is not actively engaging in the war, but he is protecting his family and his kibbutz, his home. And so, uh, so anyway, li- listen to this message real quick, and then we're going to pray uh, for Israel. Hey, Gavin, we are, we are doing fine. Thanks to the Lord. Uh, and and continue to pray specifically for the families that their beloved one are kept in hostage there in Gaza. We're talking about, uh, I, I know from intel from the Ministry of Defense, at least 400, not like the media say over 200, but it's at least 400 and even more. Uh, so for them, for the families, that uh, the hostages will, 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 uh, that God will keep them, will give them peace. I mean, they're, they're now in, in the closest place to hell uh, where they are now. So they will s- feel God, God peace in their hearts. Uh, for the family that lost their beloved ones, we're talking about more than 1,500 uh, soldiers and, 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 and civilians that lost their lives and, and police and security world here in Israel. Uh, yeah, continue to pray for them, for the children in Israel that now are in traumatized. I know my daughter, she's not in trauma, but she's, she's a bit nervous. She's nervous. She, uh, she asked my wife uh, yesterday if the bad people would take her. Uh, I mean, she's three and a half years old. How, why and how she knows those kind of uh, things. So please uh, continue to pray. That's the most effective, effective way uh, to win that battle and to see God's glory through all over the region and his power and his protection on us. Shalom, shalom. I'll keep update. Every time I visit with him or anytime I'm in Israel, uh, folks in Israel, especially uh, Israelis, Jewish people will tell you to pray for the peace of Israel. Uh, pray for the shalom, the peace of Israel. And uh, Eliab says it often. Now, I'll, I'll tell you this. This is a war that is going on between two groups of people that don't claim Jesus. So the Hamas are Muslims. They do not claim the Lord Jesus. And then the Isra- Israel, uh, they're Jewish, and they don't believe in Jesus. And so for us to pray the peace of Israel, God will never send the peace in Israel without the Prince of Peace coming to Israel. And so I want us to pray that the Lord Jesus would be named uh, in Israel. There's only 2% Christians um, in, uh, in Israel as far as uh, those who are Jewish uh, across the world. 2% are Messianic Jews. And so uh, I believe that in the end days there's going to be a great revival among God's people, God's uh, people, Israel. And so that's what I want to pray. Our peace doesn't come from that. that we, it surrounds us, our circumstances. Our peace comes from who's inside of us. And so that's the peace that I want to pray for Israel this morning. So let's do that. Um, <clears throat> we took a time at the altar this morning at the 8 o'clock. Uh, if you'd like to come, you're more than welcome to come. Uh, but let's just pray and take just a, a quick minute to pray for Israel and our friend Eliav. God, you're good. 
Uh, it's hard, Father, to be here and stay connected. It's easy, Father, to disconnect. It's just the busyness of our lives and the things that are going on and be so far removed from what's going on across the world. But it really is, is significant uh, to where we've been studying and the things that we've been talking about uh, and, uh, and the time, and the time in which we live. And God, I pray, I pray for your people I pray for revival. I pray, God, that they would claim the name of Jesus and that the Prince of Peace would guard their hearts and minds, uh, God, as he enters them. Uh, Not just the city, but the people of Israel. Uh, Not just the city of Jerusalem, but but, but the people uh, of Israel. And God, I pray that you would save them, that you would use Eliath and believers uh, like him to point uh, your children, the the Jews, to, uh, to their Messiah. And God, we, uh, we pray for safety, we pray for the hostages, we pray for um, the, the, the folks who are fighting, we pray for protection. Uh, but God, I pray, I pray, Father, that you would do what only you can do. God, I pray for dads and husbands, just like Eliah, God, who, who are protecting their families, their homes, their communities. I pray, God, that you would use this time in their life uh, God, for them to, to fall and lean strong on you. Use us as the United States to be a partner with them. Uh, not a political move, but God, just um, to partner with your people uh, because you've told us that those who bless Israel, you'll bless, and those who curse Israel, you'll curse. And God, I want to be on the side of blessing with you, uh, and so I want to be on the side with your people. And uh, Lord, let our, um, our leadership in this country uh, make uh, hard decisions to always partner and protect and be there uh, for your people. We love you, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you got your Bible, turn to the book of Genesis. Now, I'll just warn you, we're not in Genesis 32. That's where we're supposed to be this morning. But because of what has gone on in uh, Israel and around the world, uh, I've gotten some texts this week. My mind, my thoughts have been on, um, on that and what it means for us and specifically future events. Uh, I have gotten the same text of Scripture out of the book of Matthew texted to me two different times from two different people uh, through this week. And so I want, to, uh, I want us to focus in on, uh, on just the subject of the time at hand, the time that we're in. What, what is this time? Why is it significant? In fact, I want us to look at the significance in the time that we live in currently. Now, you and I can say what no other generation has been able to say, that we are literally seeing the end-time events unfold for us before our eyes. What Jesus has spoken about, what all of Scripture has pointed to, we are seeing the unfolding of the end-time events. And so we're going to end up there, but I want to... Uh, take you back through just a a quick uh, journey through Genesis to remind you how significant this time is. This war in Israel between God's people Israel and Hamas. I'm going to mention that group and that name a lot, especially in this first section of this message. I would love for you to get a pencil, a, a pen, a piece of paper, and jot some notes down because I believe that this, uh, this message is very, very timely and the time is very, very 
significant. Now you remember, if you have been with us studying this book from the beginning, you know that once we got to chapter 12, God began a relationship with a man named Abram. Abram had a wife named Sarai. In the first two verses of chapter 12, I have read to you either on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night no less than 10 times I know um, because of its significance. Now, uh, what, what God told Abram in chapter 12 is, I'm going to be your God, uh, you're going to be my uh, people, and I'm going to bless you uh, with that relationship, and out of that relationship, I'm going to give you land, and I'm going to give you descendants. I'm going to give you a family. Abraham had no uh, children, and so uh, taking that promise Uh, God established a covenant with Abraham, and we see that covenant spelled out. Those three things, uh, a lineage, a land, and a Lord, all in chapter 15. So if you turn real quick to Genesis chapter 15, let's let's look at this. And if we we haven't uh, underlined it and looked at it that specifically before, let's do it right now. Look at verse 1 of Genesis chapter 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your, sh- your shield, your exceedingly great reward. What did God just tell Abraham? He said, Abraham, I'm going to protect you and I'm going to provide for you because I am your Lord. And so that's the very first part of this covenant. I'm yours, you're mine. I'm your Lord. All the other peoples of the world, they're going to have other gods, Abraham, but I'm your Lord. Now look at verse 4. And this covenant continues. He says, Abraham asked a question. said, Lord, back in chapter 12, in my life, you said you're going to give me descendants. Here I am. I have no descendants. In verse 2, he said, Eliezer of Damascus is the heir of my house. When I die, I'm childless. Is, a, is, is an outsider going to get all of my stuff? And God says, no. Verse 4, behold, the word of the Lord came to Abraham saying, this one shall not be your heir. Eliezer is not going to be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and he said, look, look now toward the heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. So the first thing God said is, I'm going to be your Lord. The second thing is, I'm going to give you a lineage. I'm going to give you descendants, Abraham. You've got to trust me. You've got to walk with me. Well, now look at verse 18. Go down to the very last of chapter 15 and listen to what he says. It says, On the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your descendants I've given this land. And he, he lays it out. He gives him the borders. From the river of Egypt to the great river Euphrates, he tells him who's occupying it already, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Parasites, the uh, Cellulites, uh, the termites all of them were there and he said this is the land so you so you, i'm your lord and and, and you're going to have a lineage and that lineage is going to have a land that i'm going to provide for them and this is the covenant that uh that you're going to have with me and so that was the abrahamic covenant in chapter 15 look at it land lineage and lord why is why are those three things important well, Abraham and Sarah, they waited, and they didn't get pregnant. And so Sarah came up with an idea. Abram, uh, 
Hagar is my maid, uh, serve, uh, maid servant. Take her, she's from Egypt. Take her and marry her and have a child with her. I'm too old, I'm barren. I, I can't produce children. Take Hagar. So Abraham took Hagar and had a child with Hagar, named him Ishmael. Now in chapter 16, it tells us about Ishmael. Look, look real quick at verse 12. It says this about Ishmael. He shall be a wild man. In fact, the word is donkey in verse 12. He'll be a donkey of a man. You, you know what those are. <laughs> All right, and, and his, hand, uh, his hand shall be against every man. This guy is going to go against all people. Every man's hand will be against him. He shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And so, so Abram and Hagar had Ishmael, and Ishmael had 12 sons. 12 sons. And God blessed Ishmael. And, uh, and so we, have, um, we, we now have a descendant of Abraham and, and a lineage on one side, but not with Sarah, with Hagar. And, um, and, and so then, and, and later on, they, uh, Sarah and Abram still try. They have a child, a son. His name is Isaac. Um, Isaac is a picture to us of Jesus. Isaac, in chapter 22, um, carries his own wood to Mount Moriah, the Mount Calvary. We talked about this. He don't have time to go through it all. He carried his own, his own wood, ultimately his own uh, cross, just like the Lord Jesus would do years later on the same mountain. Uh, he laid his life down. His dad was nearly about to kill him. And the voice from heaven, I would believe probably Jesus himself, said, do the lad no harm. Don't let him do what I got to do later, is what Jesus said. And, uh, and, and Isaac was a picture of the Lord Jesus. Watch this, because it's not just a lineage. The seed of Abraham was not just in the descendants of Abraham. The seed of Abraham was in the Lord Jesus. And, uh, and so Jesus is speaking to Abraham on that mountain, do him no harm. And, uh, and so watch, watch what you have. Now two sides, two lineages, Abraham and Ishmael, Abraham and Isaac. Isaac would ultimately have uh, Jacob, and Jacob would have 12 sons, just like Ishmael. The 12 tribes of Israel, we're to that in the story in chapter 30 and 31. We've talked about that. Um, and so you have Ishmael and the 12, his 12 sons that will start a nation. And Isaac and his son Jacob and Jacob's 12 sons that will start the nation of Israel. We talked about this, that Ishmael became the father of ultimately the Arab nations and out of those descendants came a man 2,000 years after this story that we're talking about named Muhammad Muhammad was a descendant of Ishmael Muhammad was visited he says by an angel I say by a demon which are angels of darkness and that angel twisted the story and, uh, of, of Isaac and Ishmael. And he twisted the story and he gave the story to Muhammad. And he said, listen, Muhammad, you're the chosen seed. You're the one. You're a descendant of Ishmael. It wasn't Isaac that was the promised son of Abraham. And it was Ishmael. It wasn't Isaac that was going to be the lineage. It was Ishmael. It wasn't Isaac that was going to possess the land. It was Ishmael. And so now you have the Arabs and the Jews, two different lineages, fighting over the same land. 
two different lords fighting over the same land. That this time that you and I are living in is significant because we're watching these things unfold. In fact, even um, in the last several days, we have seen this attack of Jerusalem, and um, and we've heard a, a name, a group, um, in in a Muslim, you uh, uh, or Islam, you have two groups. Um, you have Hamas and you have Hezbollah. Um, both of them are militant groups, um, and Hamas is the one who has waged war, the current war. Do you realize there hasn't been a war against Israel for 50 years, nearly 50 years to the day? It was on October the 6th, 1973. It was called the Yom Kippur War, um, and 50 years later, Plus a day, October the 7th, Hamas attacked Israel on a Sabbath. After Rosh Hashanah, after uh, the the feast, after they celebrated a new year, um, they had a Sabbath and they were attacked by this group, a militant Muslim group named Hamas. Much of the video footage of the first attack as these Hamas men would go into uh, the city and in places and they would raid and they would bring out women and children and they would kill people in the streets. They would chant or they would scream a phrase, Allah Akbar, literally means our God is greatest. Now watch this, three parts, land, lineage, and Lord. They've just said, we've got a different God, our God's greatest. We come from a different lineage. We're from Ishmael, but we're fighting for the same land. You know what land it is? It's the Gaza Strip. It is a, Israel is connected there. The Gaza Strip is right there. There is a border, a wall uh, around Gaza, and that's the land that we see in Genesis chapter 15 that God gave Abraham. Hamas. It's interesting, the word in Arabic, it means zeal. And so the Hamas in Arabic, every time they see Hamas or hear Hamas across the headlines of news outlets, it brings about zeal, uh, um, excitement, um, uh, some arrogance comes with that. But the Hebrew word Hamas, it's amazing, it's found all throughout the Old Testament. The first time you see the word Hamas is in Genesis chapter Six. It's just for grins. Let's look there at Genesis chapter 6, at verse 11. And remember, in Genesis chapter 6, there was a family. The guy's name was Noah. He's building a boat because God's about to pour his wrath out on the world that he has created because the world was filled with evil and violence. And, uh, and God is going to save a family, Noah and his wife. 
and their three sons and their wives. But not just that, God said anyone who could get on the boat, Noah was preaching, proclaiming. He was a preacher of righteousness, the book of Hebrews says. And so Noah, as he's sawing logs and he's putting together this boat, he's telling everybody who would come to get on the boat. Get on the boat. God will save anyone on the boat. And the only eight people that get on the boat is his family. The rest of the world would perish in the flood. Why? Because the world was filled with evil. Look at verse 11, Genesis chapter 6. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with Hamas. That's the word. The world was filled with violence. Hamas. The spirit of violence covered the earth. I believe it's demonic. I believe the demonic spirit of Hamas filled the earth and God had poured his wrath out on evil and violence. Well, watch this. What happened? What happened to Hamas at the flood? All the Hamas was driven off the earth because evil died. Violence died. The only eight, four men and their wives that were left were Noah and his three boys. And and so they're starting over with a righteous family. But watch this. Life continues on the earth. This family spreads upon the earth. And guess what shows back up on the earth? Violence. Evil. Why? It all happened in Genesis 3. Sin entered in, and the curse of sin has entered in, and violence has entered in, and Satan, our adversary, like a roaring lion, is roaring and roaming about this earth, seeking whom he may devour, and the evil one has a plan just like the holy one has a plan. And Satan is working his plan against God's plan. And in Genesis chapter 16, look at this. Sarah has just asked Abraham, take Hagar, have a son with him. Abraham marries Hagar, has Ishmael. Ishmael's a teenager. God blesses Sarah with a son, Isaac. Isaac is an infant, probably under two years of age. In that house... You have Abraham and his two wives and, his, and a boy by each of them. Ishmael is a teenager, could be 15 years old. Isaac is a toddler. There is animosity that Sarah, Isaac's mom, sees between Ishmael and Isaac. A teenager and a two-year-old. She notices that Ishmael despises a toddler. And she says, hey, listen, you have to remove Hagar and her son from our house. Look at verse 5. Genesis 16, verse 5. Sarah said to Abram, my wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judged me between 
you and me. What, what did she just say? You have to cast out the wrong that I did. What word wrong is that? Hamas. Sarah said, Abram, I'm the one who brought evil into our family, into our home. I'm the one who invited Hamas, violence, into our house. It was a bad decision, a poor decision. But I brought Hamas in, and you have to cast it out. It sounds like a spirit, right? The spirit of Hamas. (laughs) Listen, we're in this time that we live in is, is really, really significant because... This group of people, this descendants of Ishmael, is still causing violence on the earth you live on. There's still evil people harming women and children. You can see it in Ishmael from the beginning, him despising a toddler wanting to do harm you can see it played out in Hamas today wanting to do harm to women and children now look the time that we live in significant but the time that we live in is is short go to Matthew chapter 24 I don't have much time Matthew 24 in Matthew 24 I've taught you this before. It's three sermons in Matthew 24. Matthew 24 is the Olivet Discourse. uh, discourse. Jesus is teaching on end things to his disciples prior to him leaving uh, and ascending into heaven. They ask the question, what's going to take place after this? Jesus begins to lay it out. Really quickly, let me just tell you, these three sermons are to three different groups of people. The first sermon is to the Gentile nations. It starts in verse 3. It goes to verse 14. You can't read chapter 24 and make it chronological because it messes everything up from an end time event chronology and so this it doesn't say hey this happens then this happens then this happens this first section is an entire sermon to the group of people who are lost on the earth when this happens this is how all of these things are going to affect the Gentile nation. Starting in verse 15 through verse 31 is a sermon to the nation of Israel And so the nation of Israel will be occupying the earth uh, when the end time events happen, when Jesus removes the church, uh, when the tribulation begins, when the millennial reign of Christ, Israel will be here. How will it impact in those verses, that message Jesus says, this is what's going to be going on in the nation of Israel during that time. Well, starting in verse 32, this is the text that has been texted to me twice this week. Starting in verse 32, listen to what Jesus said. This sermon, the third sermon, is a sermon to the church. The church of the Lord Jesus on the earth during the last times. So listen to what he says. He says, now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all of these things, know that it is near, watch this, at the door. 
It's standing at the door. When the leaves of the fig tree get tender and begin to produce, about to produce fruit, you know that summer's coming. He's using agriculture, picture of agriculture, to point to significant end-time events. And he's saying the fig tree, when it buds and is about to blossom, you know that summer's coming. Well, the same thing is true politically. The same thing is true in in, uh, political events. There is a nation that is represented by the fig tree. That nation's Israel. He's telling the church, when you see the budding of the nation of Israel, when it becomes, it gets to be a, a bud, begins to blossom, the beginning of the nation of Israel, he says, you know these things are about to take place. And he lays it out, this stuff that you and I as a church ought to be looking for. And he starts in verse 34. He says, assuredly, I say to you, that generation that's on the earth when the fig tree blossoms will by no means pass away till all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But on that day and hour, no one knows. You don't know the time. The angels of heaven don't even know. But just as the days of Noah were, so will the days of the coming of the Son of Man be. It'll just be this lack of excitement, lack of expectation. People will be marrying and drinking and eating. They'll be distracted by elections, distracted by everything else this world. They'll just be distracted. They'll be living a life of distraction, just like they were in the days of Noah. He was preaching, telling the truth, and nobody was listening. Listen to what he says in verse 40. Two men will be in the field. One's going to be taken, and the other will be left in the field by himself. Two ladies will be grinding in the mill. One's going to be removed, physically removed, and the other one will be left there grinding. What's he talking about? He's talking to the church about the day that he is going to remove the church off of this earth. You better get this. When's this going to happen? Well, after the fig tree buds, the nation of Israel is represented by the fig tree. The nation of Israel budded, became a nation on May the 14th, 1948. If you were alive on May the 14th, 1948, say that was your birthday, this past May, you will have turned 75 years old. Listen, that generation that was alive when the fig tree budded will not pass away until the coming of the Son of Man. Listen, this time that we're living in is significant. But I want to tell you something, church. You better get this, the time that we're living in is short. And I'll tell you, preachers could have preached this uh, since 1948 till now, um, but, but the significance of all that is going on in Israel, that, that there hasn't been a war like this for 50 years in Israel. The significance of what's going on in Israel and where we are 75 years since the budding of the fig tree, you, you and I better realize something. It's short. Could God drag his feet? Could God tarry? Absolutely he can. He did that with the flood. Remember Methuselah? Methuselah meant when he is finished, judgment's coming. Methuselah, I believe, died and it began to rain. Methuselah was the oldest man who ever lived. He was 969 years old because when, when he was born, God said when he's finished, I'm sending my judgment. And so 
so Methuselah lived so long. Why? Because God's patient and long-suffering, not wanting any to perish. Will, will there be the oldest person on the earth when God finally sends Jesus to remove the church? I don't know. He could. He's done that before. He doesn't have to. 75-year-old people, I don't, my parents didn't make it to 75. The time that we're living in, you and I better get this, if we're parents or grandparents, is short. In fact, Jesus said, it's at the door. And there's some significance about that door, and I don't have time to, to, to lay all of this out for you as far as the shortness of time and uh, how many, uh, how much longer we have. I don't know the time in which it's coming. I do know this. It's never been as close as it is right now. The very next parable that he begins to share in chapter 25 is a parable of the bridesmaids. He said there's going to be 10 of them. Five will be ready, five won't be. Five will have oil in their lamps. Oil always is a picture of the Holy Spirit. Five, half of them will be ready, filled with the Spirit. And half of them will not be ready when the bridegroom comes. That's all a picture of the coming of the Lord Jesus. And literally what he's saying is when Jesus comes, part, part of the, the folks who think they're ready, half won't be. <laughs> They'll be duped in believing that they have the outward appearance of a follower of Jesus, but they've never been changed. They've never been filled. They've never been given the Holy Spirit because they've never submitted over to Christ's authority. You know, it's significant in that parable that when the bridegroom comes, the five who didn't have oil had to leave to go buy oil, make preparation, but it was too late. And in Matthew chapter 25, or 25, verse 11, it says that afterward the other bridesmaids had come. I'm sorry, verse 10, it says, And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. And afterward the other bridesmaids came also saying, Lord, Lord, open, open us, open to us. But it was, it was too late. The time was over. You see, we're living in a time where the time's short, but it, there's going to be a time when the, the door's closed and the time's over. It's up. There's no more time. So what does that make this time? It makes this time that you and I are living in the time of salvation. The time to surrender our life to Jesus. The time to make sure that we're filled with his spirit, not just filled with the religion that this world offers us. And we're filled and changed and we're following him because he's our king and he's King Jesus and we're his. We're in a relationship and he's come to live inside of us. In fact, in Revelation chapter 3, I want to end with this and I got to end in a quick way. So turn to Revelation 3. Y'all got to hurry and listen. I preached through the book of Revelation a few years ago. It's all out there on our um, app you can listen we walk through every verse in the book of revelation the first the second and the third chapter in the book of revelation set up the whole book of revelation you got to understand two and three to understand the rest jesus gives letters to john john is the disciple whom jesus loved he's one of the 12 he's the inner circle peter james and john john 
was exiled to the island of Patmos, and on the Lord's Day, God uh, spoke to him, and he said, listen, I want you to write these messages, seven different letters to seven different churches in Asia Minor. They were all churches in Asia Minor in the first century. But the letters had time-sensitive information. When I say sensitive, time-significant information. These letters represented time periods from Christ's crucifixion to today. And so they're in order. That's chronological order from the first letter to the last letter, and they represent times in history in the church. You can go back and you can look at them. I've studied, I've studied this with you, and you can go back and listen to those. The last letter in Revelation chapter 3 is the letter to the church in Laodicea. I don't have time to read this whole letter, but he tells us that the climate in the church in the last days is going to be that of indifference. Does that sound familiar? He says they're going to be lukewarm. He says you're neither hot or you're neither cold, but you're lukewarm, and I want to vomit you out. You make me sick. The church in the last days is going to be indifferent. They're going to be complacent. They're going to be lukewarm. Listen to what he says in verse 19. As as many as I love, I rebuke. I chasten. I discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. But to the rest, he says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him. He's not talking about the door of a house. He's talking about the door of a life. He says, behold, I stand at the door of a life and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and lets me in, I'll come into him and I'll be with him. I'll sup with him is what the old King James Bible says. I have fellowship with him and he with me. What's what's Jesus explaining? He's explaining a relationship that he wants to have with an individual. And listen to what he says. I will stand at your life, but I won't barge into it. I'll stand and I'll knock and I'll, I'll allow you to let me in. What Jesus just described in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, is, is salvation. None of us come to God. God comes to us. He woos us. In fact, the Bible says he does the first work of salvation in that he draws. No one comes to the Father unless they're drawn by the Spirit. You just don't wake up one day and say, I'm going to be saved today. God draws us. He woos us. He knocks at the door, and we're the ones who have to let him into our life. We're the ones who have to say, yes, you come in, and you be in charge of my life. You take the authority of my life. We open the door. Isn't it amazing, the doors? The door is at hand. The door is closed. Behold, I stand at the door, and I knock. Now watch this. These are time periods. Revelation 2 and 3, it ends... At the end of chapter 3, the time period, and a new time period begins. Look what it says. After these things, Revelation 4.1. After these things. After the time of the church had ended. 
I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet. Does that remind you of anything? 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18, the apostle Paul said, The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will be raised first, and we who are alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds. So shall we ever be with the Lord, comfort one another with these words. Do you realize that the time that we're living in is very significant, but it's very short? But you and I are living in a time right now where God's still knocking at people's doors. He's still drawing. He's still wooing because we're living in the time of salvation, but we're coming to the time when that salvation time ends and the door will be closed. And it ends here on this earth when the door in heaven opens up. And John said, behold, I saw a door in heaven open. And I heard that voice from heaven. Paul heard it from earth. John heard it from heaven. Listen what John heard. He heard the voice that sounded like a trumpet and it said, hey, y'all come up here. And that's when the church is going to be removed from this earth. And we're going to go to be with Jesus. But watch that. Watch this. What happens? That, that's, that's when the bridegroom comes. That's Matthew chapter 25. When, when the bridegroom comes and, and when, the, when the bride of Christ is removed from the church, guess what happens to that door? It's closed. Now's the time of salvation. I want to bow our heads together. Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. So I don't know what God's doing in your heart. <clears throat> but I, I can sense him moving and working in this world. I see time beginning to unfold. I see the things that we've been studying starting to happen. The significance of the things that God has had First Baptist Halton in studying the book of Genesis is coming to pass the time that we live in is significant and I don't say this to scare anybody but the time that we're living in is short and the time that we're living in right now is a time of salvation and if God's drawing you and he's wooing you to himself he's knocking on your heart he's knocking in your life and he's saying let me in let me in. This is your move. You got to let me in. You, you, if you let me in, I'll come in and I'll fill you with my spirit. I'll fill you with myself. I'll come into you. And one day I'll bring you home to be with me. But you got to let me in. If God's drawing you this morning, Sir, ma'am, wherever you're sitting, you could be in the balcony, the center of a pew, you got people who are beside you, wherever you are, if God's drawing you this morning, listen, you come. I'm going to pray in just a few moments. We're going to stand together. Our pastors will be here. If, you're, if God's drawing you, you say yes to Jesus. You come this morning. Let us help you. Let Jesus in. Father, we give you this time. Move in this place. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together, church.